It's time with Pastor Mike Kessler starts now. This is It's Time, the daily teaching ministry from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN International, featuring Pastor Mike Kessler, Senior Pastor at the River. Today, Pastor Mike is going to be teaching in the book of 1 Samuel. Located way back in the Old Testament, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are the legacy that reveals the change from God-appointed judges over the people to the kingdom era, where the Jews are ruled over by a king both a departure from God's ways and a foreshadow of God's ways. With our study on the book of 1 Samuel, here's Pastor Mike. See, it's one thing to say, oh, I've prayed to God, but I'm still going to do my own thing. Now he says, let's go and find out what God has to say. So he said, bring the ephod to me. So David inquired of the Lord, verse 8. And this is chapter 30 again, by the way. He inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And God answered, Pursue, for he surely shall, you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Now this is a pretty amazing prophecy. Now, again, one of the things that makes the Bible unique over all the other, so to speak, religious books in the world, um, when you get into the Quran and all these different books, none of them have prophecy in it. One-third of the Bible is prophecy. Either predicting an event that was to happen, as we're reading here, or speaking of end times event, what I believe we're seeing with the uh, formulation of the uh, European community and the euro and everybody having a common currency and and the desire to bring the world under a one-world government. All this that the Bible predicts. But uh, one of the things that's lacking in all these religious books other than the Bible of the world is prophecy. And so here we have another prophecy where he consults the Lord and God says, yes, you will overtake them and you will recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed, uh, where those uh, stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men. So the 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Um, they were with David. Uh, and as they decided to cross over to go uh, fight them, uh, of course, they didn't take all their food and all those things. Because remember, they were going to fight the Philistines. You don't fight the Philistines on an empty stomach. They brought all their provisions with them. As they go... <laughs> The king says, no, you go back. You can't. You're going to offend the lords of the Philistines. They come back. They see their town. And so they just took with them everything that was left that was of any value. And they went to pursue them uh, based upon the inquiry of the Lord. Well, when they came to the brook, some of them were so weary, wiped out. And probably some of them were wiped out and weary emotionally. Those that maybe lost and thought that their lover was gone or their children were gone or all those things. For whatever reason that they were weary, they couldn't go on. They sat there. And so what they did then is they guarded the goodies while the other 400 men went on. So in other words, as those 400 men dropped their extra provisions to lighten their way so they could go pursue um, 
the Amalekites, uh, the 200 stayed behind to take care of that stuff as well. So they were still a value, even though they were tired and a little weary and beaten. And so David pursued. He and the 400 men, 200 men stayed behind who were with so weary they could not cross the brook. Then they found an Egyptian in the field, and they brought him to David, and they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink some water. And they gave him a piece of cake, some figs, two clusters of raisins. Now, you, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, the, exa- the accuracy of what you're reading. Ah, they just gave him some food, and then he went on. Doesn't say that. Very, very interesting. And some of you people that like to do some deep searching in the scripture, I'm going to let you do that. You can look and see what the significance of that is. But one thing we know for sure, because of the figs and the cake, had sugar in it, and so this kid revives. And it says, as he's eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread or drank any water for three days and three nights. So basically, it shows you the the heart and the nature of the Amalekites uh, with this this uh, kid that when he couldn't travel with them, they just left him out in the wilderness to die. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong and where are you from? And he said, Well, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of, uh, of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Chethreelites in the territory which belongs to Judah and the southern area of Kerib, and we burned Zagleg with fire. So he now David knows who did it. David knows now who the culprit was, and he's got somebody now that's telling him. And so David said to him, can you take me down to where this troop is? And he said, the Egyptian kid says, well, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hand of my master and I will take you down to this troop. He knew where they were hiding out because see, again, as the advancement came to attack these cities, he knew where their campsites were. And so this Egyptian kid says, yeah, I'll take you, but you, you can't turn me back over to them because he knew what happened. They'd kill him. So he made him swear to him that he wouldn't turn him over. And so uh, when they, when they brought him down, There they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. They were having one wild party because of all the goodies that they had done. And they didn't realize that in the midst of the uh, the partying, they didn't realize that there was a real danger. Now, friends... Anybody here that's ever been into that world, in the party world, knows that there's a lot of dangers when you're not at your best. Isn't that true? That's why the Bible says to be instant in season and out of season. There's never a time off. And you say, Mike, I get weary. Yes, I know. I get weary too. But let me tell you something. This is not your party time. It's not. Your party time comes in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now let me tell you something. This is one of the things that somebody at the last, um, we have communion, first Sunday of every month, and then afterwards we have a big dinner. You guys know about that. You should know about that. You don't know about that. And we were all talking about how great this is, and isn't this neat, and this is, and you know, somebody came up to me and said, isn't it going to be great that in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, we know that's going to be, be a long time, almost probably seven years of nothing but eating. Now that sounds good. So you think about that for a minute. This is not our time. 
for rest. The Bible says work for the night is coming when no man can work. And so I, I see all the way through this and we all like to take our leisure. You know, well, I've been in the ministry for so many years and now I just want to kick back and cruise. Listen, if you're in Christ, there is no cruise. It don't happen. You're always in the battle. It doesn't say in this life you'll have tribulation for a while. (laughs) You're going to be in this. And and, and the thing is you say, but Mike, I I get tired. (laughs) Yeah. So why do you think those verses are written in the Bible? That he's our strong tower. He's our refuge. uh, In him I will trust. Casting all your cares upon him, he cares for you. Because you're only going to have cares for a while, and then you're going to have a lot of good time. No, it doesn't say that. It says the opposite. The more I read, the more it seems it was just one hit after another. And I'm not talking about the top 40. It seems like there's just one attack after another attack after another attack. Paul says sometimes it's within the ranks. Sometimes it's without the ranks. Sometimes it's natural caused. Sometimes it is man caused. Again, go back to Second Corinthians chapter 11 and you'll see exactly what he lists there as those areas of attack that come to us as Christians. He tells us that it can come from your own countrymen. It can come from without. It comes from the Gentiles. It comes from the Jews. It came from being shipwrecked a day and night in the deep, beaten with rods. That was certainly done by man. But being a day and night in the deep, that was a natural phenomenon. He says being in the cold. And all these different things. And then what's so amazing there in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, after he lists all these crazy things, and again, it's some kind of neat homework when you think you're having a bad day. You know, and oh, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, you know, kind of thing, you know. And I would just invite you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He lists all this stuff that happened to him, beat with rod, shipwreck, all this stuff that happens to him. And then he says, besides what comes upon me daily. What's that? Beside what comes upon me daily. So, you look at this and realize that um, this party time ain't for us. And it wasn't for these guys either. Because as they were partying down, David's army was surrounding them. And so it says... That David attacked them, verse 17, from twilight until the evening of the next day. So all night long, they were getting whooped. You know, I mean, I mean, David was fighting in the dark. Now, the one nice thing about only 600 of you and thousands of them is you can just about realize that anybody you whack with your sword ain't going to be one of yours. And so they just commenced to whacking away. Now, it's interesting here. David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that Amalekites, all the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking. Now, again, going back to the prophecy, um, from what what the, when David inquired of the Lord, nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Isn't that neat? 
Now you look at this, and obviously we have the advantage of reading this tonight. But we can see the blessing of God in David's life. You see, this was something that God did for David in the view, friends, of the ones who wanted to kill him. Now remember, had they killed David, they would have not had anyone to lead him into battle. Had they killed David, there would have not been anyone that would have consulted the Lord to find out even if they should go follow him. So uh, what I find here sometimes is important. Acting upon impulses can be very dangerous. And so they waited, and David led them to a great victory. Verse 20, Then David took all the flocks and the herds which had been driven before those other livestock and said, These, uh, This is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they had also made them to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. Now you've got to remember, there were six hundred or 400 men that went in to the camp where these guys were. But there was a multitude of people that came out because they had rescued all the women and children. So now you find this great group of people coming back. So immediately the 200 men knew that David had been successful. And it says, so they went out and met David to meet the people who were with him. And David came near to the people and greeted him. And then all, uh, then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said. Now, I think this is interesting. The wicked and the worthless men who were with David. Now, that one right there just causes one to sit back. You know, things that make you go, hmm. The wicked... And the worthless men who were with David. So here again, friends, you find something interesting. Again, put your S-O-N glasses on. And you see that God used wicked and evil men to help David do his ultimate purpose. Does God use ungodly people to accomplish his will sometimes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's a good illustration of that. Now, somebody would say, there's an old question that says, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you heard that? I've heard that one a lot. Well, I got one for you. Why do good things happen to bad people? That's one of the ones I'm trying to figure out. Well, here's something like that. They came back. Good thing. They won the war against the Amalekites. But they were evil. And they were bad, but because David, who loved God, was there, he was the one that preserved them. You don't realize how much, because you're a Christian, you preserve something in a very evil situation. And you you look at that, and and you realize that that, um, here you find uh, David uh, protecting these guys. Well, we're going to find out why they were evil. Now, how do you know if somebody's evil? That's a good question. That person over there. They look like they're evil. That's why the Bible says we don't judge according to the appearance of anything. But when you judge, you judge a righteous judgment. What do you judge the judgments on? What they do, what they say. What did these guys say that made them evil? Notice. It says, Then all the wicked and worthless men who went with David answered and said, 
Because they did not go with us, speaking of the 200 men that were too weak, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except every man's wife and his children. No one really wants them anyway. That they may lead them away and depart. So, yeah, here's your wife, here's your kids, go. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Now see, David now is coming around to recognizing the hand of God in his life, that the victory was not by his cunningness, but it was by the hand of God. He consulted the Lord. He spent time with God, then he consulted the Lord. God gave him the victory, and then David didn't say, boy, look at how great I am. If you want to go back, you remember Saul had a victory against the Philistine or the Amalekites, and he built an he built an a a, um, uh, a statue or a, 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 a memorial. The Bible says to himself. Now you got to be pretty much full of yourself to do that, but he did that. Well, David now says the Lord has given us this victory, who has preserved us the last part of verse 23, and delivered us into our hand, this enemy into our hands, the troop that has come against us. For who will heed with you in this matter? But as, but, but his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be with the one who stays with the supply. They shall share alike. I like that. Now, this is another principle that we find in the Word of God because it says those that receive a prophet receive a prophet's reward. So that's why I I always believe that, you know, heavenly investments are good things. We always are looking around for a good earthly investment, but heavenly investments are good things. And the Bible says that when you bless somebody that is doing God's work, as an example, whether it be a missionary or a missionary endeavor or whatever, the Bible says God will reward you as if you were the one that went Overseas. God will reward you as if you are the one that built that radio station. God will reward you as if you're the one that helped build that church. And I look at this and I, and I think, wow, God, that's really amazing. That God's value system is not limited by our understanding of things. They were saying, hey, look, we're not going to give them nothing. They didn't come with us, even though they stayed with the supplies and protected them. We're not going to give them nothing. David says, you're not going to do that. God is the one that gave us the victory. You act like it was something you did. And so you think that you can have and say, well, I own this now because look what I did. And David says, that is not the way that it is. So he says, and so it was from that day forward, he made a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Basically in that, that everybody is blessed. Verse 26. Now David came to Ziglag. He sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Now we remember where the Amalekites said that they had been. We remember the Egyptian kid said, and let's go back to this, verse 14, we have made an invasion in the southern area of the Chethrolites in the territory which belongs to Judah. So some of the booty that David recovered was not just his that he got from Ziglag, but it was also from the other neighboring areas of Israel. And so David now didn't say, aha, it's all ours. He sent a present. 
And notice who he sends it to. In fact, I think it's interesting here. It's quite an interesting list of recipients of the spoil of this battle. Here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were at Bethel, to those who were in Ramoth, in the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Aroir, uh, those who were in Sithmoth, those who were in Ethemoa, those who were in Rachel, those who were in the cities of the Jezreelites, uh, uh, the, excuse me, the Jehemizreelites, those who were in the city of the Kenites, those who were in Hormah, those who were in Korashan, those who were in, in Atha. I gotta say that right. And those who were in Hebron, and those who were in the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. Amazing. David now, where earlier in the chapter, he was preparing to go out and attack Israel. In the end of the chapter, after you add the situation or the gradient of a relationship with God, now you find him blessing the nation of Israel. That's how God works. So God changes things. The blessing of God was on David. Those around David received the benefit of that blessing. And and what's incredible is even the evil ones, even the ones with ill thought and selfishness, still God allowed them to continue on. Friends, all I can share with you is this. As I look at this, I know in this life we're going to be confronted with many uncomfortable situations. But knowing this, God still ultimately is in control. Maybe David had every intention of going out and fighting against the nation of Israel. But you see, again, God is bigger than the things that David did wrong. Tonight you might be looking at your life and say, I really goofed my life up. Boy, did I ever go off the tracks. God will never fix me up. Humpty Dumpty, that would be me. Had a great fall, so many pieces. Don't know how you'd ever put it all back together again. God's bigger than anything you've done wrong. So that's something that we can rejoice in. That's something that we have faith in. And see, again, friends, it isn't faith in things. It's faith in God who rebuilds and changes the circumstances. And there's an interesting verse in the Bible that says, that which people, or that which was intended For your harm, God will turn it around and make it for your good. I am convinced there are people that lay traps all the time for those people who are in God. But I know God ultimately will be the one that will vindicate you and save you and bless you. I think a lot of times people become self-deceived. I think they've lived in a lie and in their sin so long, they feel because nothing has happened, they think that it's going to go on that way and there's not going to be any ramifications for it. Friends, it wasn't until David called out to God that it changed. And friends, I just want to encourage you tonight, call out to God. You've been maybe living in God's mercy, not because God doesn't care about what you've been doing, but you've been living in God's mercy and God as an example in David's life, as soon as he turned his heart back to God, immediately God began to do things in a very pronounced way in his life. Was God busy in David's life even when he was trying to fight against Israel? Absolutely. But I believe that was all to protect David and to get him back to the place where God could make him the king that he was called to be. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you.
that you love us. We thank you, God, that you have a plan for each person listening tonight. And God, in that way that you do what you do so wonderfully well, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would take now, challenge us, allow us, God, to understand that you are still God. Bigger, better than any of our plans, hopes, or dreams could ever be. And so, Father, may you bless each person listening tonight. And just as David, that he sought you, Lord, may we always seek you early. And so, God, we bless you and thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've missed any part of today's episode, I'd like to invite you to grab the free podcast of its time by hopping on the iTunes store and downloading your own copy. If you like having the disc, you can give us a call at 800-357-4226 to place your order for First Samuel. From Pastor Mike, myself, and all of us here at the River, thanks for tuning in to It's Time.